0: Hello and welcome everyone, this is the Thick Jack Frames podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft podcast, Trevor Magnotti here. The NBA Draft is nine weeks away now, the Cleveland Cavaliers are set officially to have the second best lottery odds and officially picked 26th. When June rolls around. The Cavs lost the coin flip with the Blazers for the 25th pick, but did beat out the Suns for the second best odds, which is the one that matters. So we will see how the lottery shakes out in a few weeks, hoping that luck turns the Cavs way again. It's been a busy week for draft declarations as underclassmen continue to pour into the draft pool in advance of the NBA draft combine. While that doesn't include Zion Williamson, for some reason. Um, we still have more clarity on who will be testing the waters here in the next couple weeks. So let's start off running through a few important names here before we get into our prospect of the week. We're going to do one of my favorites this week, Matisse Thibel of Washington. Um, but we'll talk about some underclassmen here first. A few interesting choices in terms of returning to school this week. Um, a couple players that have made some Interesting decisions to to go back to school, to forego the draft prospect. Chief among those, Trey Jones of Duke, uh, the point guard for the Blue Devils. He's decided to go back for his sophomore season. Interesting decision because he was probably the best passer in this class in terms of the point guard position. He does have some negatives. He didn't shoot very well towards the end of the season, had some issues with some decision-making aspects in the NCAA tournament, but this is a very capable defensive point guard um, who has some pretty good court vision and should be a game manager type. Really going to be interesting to see if at all he's able to improve on that shooting stroke. If he is, that probably puts him in the lottery of the 2020 class, which is going to be make this worth it for him. He was a guy that I had about 16th in this class, but... Interesting decision there because he's probably the only big name that we're going to see return to school at this point. A um, couple other fringe guys also made decisions to return to school. Jalen Smith, who is a power forward from Vander or from Maryland, he has decided to forego the draft prospect process, come back for his sophomore season. Good decision for him because he's now going to have more of the spotlight for. Maryland inside, not playing next to Bruno Fernando, should be able to take more advantage of his rim protection skill and show out a little better defensively. I think that's a good decision for him. And also Ashton Hagens of Kentucky, another guy that returned to school. Interesting to see a Kentucky freshman not decide to go through the draft process, but he was a guy that needs significant development to turn into an NBA-type player, so Not a surprising decision that he's going to be coming back to Kentucky next year, but it is surprising to see him come back without at least testing the waters and doing the Kentucky Pro Day. So a little bit of an interesting decision there few obvious names that we did see declare this week. Um, not as many as came out immediately when draft declarations started, but we still got some big names. Um, R.J. Barrett, obviously the big one there. He declares for the draft, probably going to be a top three pick in the 2019 class. So he is in officially. That's good to see. Um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker of Virginia Tech also Decides to declare he's a guy that probably is going to stick in, probably is going to come out in this class because he's probably going to be a top 20 pick. Um, so easy, good decision for him. A um, couple other guys that were interesting but obvious, Keldon Johnson, Cam Reddish, both guys who had disappointing seasons at the college level but are clear name recognition guys that are going to probably go in the lottery of this draft, whether that's deserved or not. Um, both of those guys are probably going to be t- probably going to be top 10 picks or at least around that, so pretty obvious that they're going to come out. Um, more importantly this week than kind of the obvious names, we're still waiting on Zion Williamson and Jarrett Culver. Um, instead, we got to see a lot of guys who are going to have interesting pre-draft processes to figure out whether or not they are – Read at the same level by NBA teams as a lot of kind of media and draft scouts have them at. Um, a few names to read off the list here. Um, we'll just kind of quick hit everybody. Um, really nice to see that Grant Williams and Jackson Hayes came out. Those are both guys that were kind of. Questionable whether they were going to return to school or not. We get to see both of those guys come into the draft process. I wouldn't be surprised to see either of them opt to return at some point, but both of those guys should be lottery talents and should be coming out in the in this draft. So good to see both of those names in there as well. We get a few fringe point guards this week. Um, interesting to see Carson Edwards and Miles Powell come out. Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Um really similar player to Carson Edwards. Um, both of these guys are very quality shooters with a little bit of playmaking skill, undersized for their position, um, not good defenders. Um, kind of kind of the guys that you see come out every year may get drafted in the second round, may not, but are probably headed towards the G League in, and are going to have really productive careers in the G League and kind of float on the fringe of the NBA. I personally like Powell better than Edwards. Edwards, of course, has more name recognition, but Powell's the better passer. Powell's the better finisher, and those two things definitely matter, even though Edwards is the better shooter, and that's kind of the primary skill. It's good to see both of these guys come out. i wouldn't be surprised to see either of them return to school as well, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how NBA teams value them alongside Shimori Pons who, uh, from St. John's, who had already come out last week. It's going to be interesting to see how all of these volume shooting point guards are rated by NBA teams. Um, We also got a few wings with some tools, but not a lot of production. Um, Those would be Desmond Bain of TCU, Lugens Dort of Arizona State, and Quentin Grimes of Kansas. All three of those guys put their names in and are probably guys who shouldn't be drafted this year because they don't have a ton of plug-and-play skills and are going to take significant development just to become even fringe rotation guys, especially Grimes who maybe had the worst college season of any top recruit that we've seen in the last few years and that includes Cam Reddish and Scalabesier. Grimes was a mess this year and it's really interesting to see him put his name in because teams are probably still going to rate him kind of highly because he was rated highly coming out of high school and it's going to be interesting to see what he can show, maybe showing that Kansas was a bad fit for him and that he has more talent than he initially let on with his college season. It's going to be interesting to see how he does. Dort really had a hot start to the college season, but really fell off a cliff once con- conference play started. He's a guy that doesn't have a ton of useful NBA skills, and I wouldn't be able uh, surprised to see return to school because he doesn't get, garner a lot of interest. And then Desmond Bain, a guy who's really underrated as a 3 and D type, um, but does again doesn't have the name recognition, doesn't have a super impressive statistical profile, even though it's good. So it'd be interesting to see kind of how he's rated. He's a guy that I could definitely see going in the top half of the second round um, or returning to school pretty quickly once the combine process gets started. And then finally, a couple more guys. We got some bigs that put their names in this year as well. Um, probably all second-round guys, but some really interesting talents here in Mfandu Kabangele of Florida State, Isaiah Roby of Nebraska, and the guy I'm probably most excited has put in his name in the draft this year, Nehemiah Skata of Utah State. Kabangele, um, really good energy, power forward, has some – ball skills and is a really solid rim protector um, kind of a black hole on offense which is his, is his main problem it'd be really good if he could show some more playmaking ability and kind of some more facilitation of an offense but I wouldn't be surprised to see him come out he's a guy that I have ranked in the top 50 or so Isaiah Roby Really talented player who is dreadfully inconsistent. He's probably going to get drafted and has a shot to get drafted really highly if a team really values his athletic talent. But um, I've kind of been on the fence with him the entire season. He's just a guy that really kind of doesn't bring it every night and doesn't bring it consistently play to play. And I think that that's something that is really going to hurt him in his early NBA development. And then there's Kata. I'm really excited to see him come out. He was a guy that I really didn't expect to actually enter this draft class, but he has a really good rim protection quality, um, uses verticality very well, has some very good technique there. Also has a little bit of court vision and a little bit of a face-up ability on offense. Even though that's incredibly raw, there's potential for him to be kind of like a Pascal Siakam type, really quality two way player that kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, He's a guy that I've had ranked in the first round for a couple of months now. He probably is going to float on the fringes and ultimately return to school, but really exciting to see how he's going to do at the combine, how he measures out, and how he performs in some of this five on five stuff against other players because getting to see him against top flight competition is really going to help put what his Current talent level is into perspective, so really gonna be good to keep an eye on him in the next coming couple weeks. Um, he's a guy that guy that I really like in this class because he does have a lot of expected growth potential. Whereas a guy like Quentin Grimes, he has potential, but it's hard to expect him to reach his ceiling. Queda is a guy that I think you can, because of his athleticism and because of his. IQ that he's showing right now, I think you can project some really exciting growth from him on both ends as he gets into the NBA. So hopefully he comes out and stays in this class, but we'll get to see. Um, still a few, still quite a few names are going to have to put their. Or guys are going to have to put their names into the draft this year. We'll see if that ends up happening for or over the next week. Um, but now I think it's time for us to transition into our player of the week. Um, we're going to shift away from guys who should be in the top 10 conversation. We've done quite a few of those guys in the last few weeks. Um, and now we're going to steer more towards a guy that I think is one of my top targets for the Cavs with the twenty-six pick. There's a good chance that he may not be there, but if he is, he makes a lot of sense for this team in where they're going to be in the rebuilding process. Um, Matisse Steibel of Washington. Let's break down the kind of intro stuff for him. Six foot five, one hundred ninety-five pounds, with a seven-foot wingspan are the measurements for him. Um, his statistical numbers: thirty-one point one minutes per game he averaged is just, just nine points per game but the other numbers are pretty solid 3.1 rebounds 2.1 assists the big one 3.5 steals and 2.2 blocks per game Um, shooting splits are 42 percent from the field 31 percent from three um, 55 or 51 percent from two and 85 percent from the line Representative game to see kind of everything that Theibel does uh, is the Colorado game where they face Colorado at home. 17 points, 3 rebounds, an assist, 6 steals, and 5 blocks, one of his best defensive games of the year. Um, So that is definitely a game that you should watch if you want to get a good gauge of what Theibel does. Getting into a little bit of what his skill sets skill set is, we normally focus a lot of time on offense because we get to know a lot better what players' offensive skills are in the college game. Thiebel is probably going to be the shortest offensive conversation that we have in this draft class um, because while there is, while he's not a complete offensive zero like an Andre Roberson, he doesn't have a ton that he brings to the table on this end. The strengths for him, he's a decent mid-range shooter, has put up uh, pretty good numbers over the past three seasons as kind of like a pull-up and uh, -and catch-and-shoot guy from the mid-range. He has a pretty good handle. He can dribble, which is exciting, uh, and he uses that pretty well in transition. And to get to the rim, he can put the ball on a string a little bit and dribbles pretty well in traffic, and that's something that's always really important. And he has pretty good finishing numbers. Um, His percentage from two-point range is pretty solid it's it's good to see him putting up some good numbers there he does have some ability to kind of extend through contact and he's a pretty good cutter although he's not on the level of kind of the elite guys that you'd like to see I see him be among if he's going to be a non-shooter in the league but we'll talk a little bit more about kind of how that factors into his overall performance here in a little bit um I think, I think that his weaknesses are pretty obvious. Um, outside of a few catch and shoot jumpers, he doesn't do a ton in terms of the diversity of his shots. Um, he's not a guy that's going to be able to spring himself open. Um, he doesn't use really good footwork to come around screens. Um, he's not a guy who's going to be making a ton of pull-ups out of the pick and roll. Um, so that's something that's a little bit worrying for his offensive potential at the next level, because he is probably going to be a spot up guy. Um, also not a great decision maker, Um, doesn't make very good reads, especially in traffic with the ball, um, which is going to really limit his on-ball potential, and also just a guy that kind of Oh, is a little bit of a record scratch guy when he catches the ball on offense. When he gets the ball and he's open, he struggles to make the decision whether to drive or whether to shoot. Um, that little extra half second can be killer in the NBA, so that's a little bit of an issue for him there as well. But – we're not talking about offense when we talk about Thibel. We're talking about his defensive potential. He is the best defensive prospect in this draft, hands down. I would take him even be- even more than Brayden Clark in terms of just the ability to – perform the duties that he's probably going to have at the nba level clark is able to do a lot more stuff and i think there's other players that kind of fit that mold as well like zion williamson and grant williams those are guys who you're going to be able to have do a lot more things than theibel but for the jobs that he's going to take for a defense he is going to be the best at those jobs um The strengths are enormous, Um, and it starts with his hands. Thiebel plays primarily in a 2-3, which is a little bit of a suppressant when it comes to steals and blocks. Um, We see that with Syracuse guys consistently. We see that a little bit with Virginia guys, Um, these teams that play kind of more zone-style matchups, and Washington is off the Syracuse tree with Mike Hopkins, so they're playing almost exclusively 2-3 zone. And Thibault's steal and block numbers are absolutely nutty. He aver- he posts 6.6 steals per 100 possessions. To put that in perspective, the highest steals per 100 possessions number that is among guys who have actually gone pro at the NBA or at the college level since 2010 is Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart finished at 5.3 steals per 100 possessions. So, Thybul is outpacing everybody in the database by at least 1.3 steals per 100, which is absolutely insane. He couples that with a block rate that is at 8.1%, which would put him on par with most of the rim protectors in this class. He has a career steal and block rate of 4.7 and 4.9 respectively, and he's the first player that has ever finished a season with over 100 steals and over 75 blocks. he is the best havoc creator that we have ever seen come out of the college game, and I feel pretty confident saying that. Um, in terms of the actual strengths, technique-wise, um, obviously his hands are are great. Um, he uses his length really well in traffic and when defending one-on-one to tie guys up um, and to deflect passes. He has a great ability to read an offense. He reads. Complex situations and can predict where the offense is going with the ball and makes a ton of those free safety type plays that we saw uh, for years with LeBron James. He is that type type of defender when it comes to reading what an offense is going to do and reacting quickly to be able to blow it up. Um, he couples that ability to read with great closing speed. He is really good at covering a lot of ground, and he's also very disciplined. I mean, you have a, or if you have a guy that puts up this type of steal rate and, and does so in a 2-3 zone, you're probably seeing a guy that gambles a lot, but... But while Thiebaud does gamble a little bit, he still is a guy who sticks true to what he needs to do in the defense. He's just allowed to do a lot of stuff. He has a lot of he has a lot of freedom to kind of rotate and break the zone um, and be able to follow guys. And I think that's something that's important. Um, but he does a really good job of with that staying disciplined and not just jumping out way outside of what the defense is and be not being able to recover to be able to to be able to allow the defense to have kind of gaps within within where where things are going so i think that thibault is one of the more disciplined players in the in the draft, which you kind of have to couple with his steal rate to know that that's that makes it even that much more impressive. He's not a guy that's just gambling all the time. He also has great vertical athleticism, which is which is important, which is why he puts up so many good blocks. Um, he is one of the best at closing out on a three point shooter and getting uh, his hand on the ball as. The shooter goes up with it, Um, also does a a lot of kind of blocks in the mid post and stopping kind of that open mid post big um, face up game that beats a lot of two, three zones because he's able to kind of react, dig down and get his hand on the ball from behind. Um, This is this is a really exciting profile. For a player at the next level um, all, all of these defensive tools Are, are really exciting um, His weaknesses um, The 2-3 zone is going to be held against him Even by NBA teams Even as zone becomes more prominent At the NBA level The fact that he was playing in a 2-3 Is going to scare some teams off I mean Michael Carter Williams He was a steel god At Syracuse playing in a 2-3 Came into the NBA and wasn't able to do the same thing Now he gambled a lot more than Theibel does, um, but he also had a lot more length. um, So that's something that is probably going to be held against him, whether that's fair or not. Um, It's something that we kind of have to consider a quote-unquote weakness because he hasn't played a ton of defense in the way that NBA teams are going to have him play. Also, another weakness, if he was 6'8", I would feel a lot more confident about him being kind of like a lock for like decades of all NBA first team, all defense. But, you know, he is 6'5". He is going to be limited in his ability to defend fours, to defend uh, some threes one-on-one at the NBA level. So that's something to kind of hold against him a little bit too, but... You kind of have to scale what we're talking about at the defensive end with him. Like these are not things that are going to cripple his potential. These are just things that are kind of more limiting what his ceiling outcome is going to be on the defensive end. So for projection for him, pretty obvious game plan wrecking point of attack defender with potential to shoot off ball at the NBA level is kind of where where I see his overall. Kind of role being. Um, He's going to be a guy who's going to take primary assignments for most of the time, is going to defend a lot of pick and roll, and is going to be the guy that you throw on the top primary creator night after night after night. And on offense, I see him being you know maybe a little bit of a slasher, um, probably a little bit of a shooter with maybe some upside um, to become a little bit more productive as as a ball handler. Um, But for the most part, anything as long as he shoots at like a 37, 38 percent three point clip, he is going to be a rotation player for a decade. Um, The floor for him is probably a Cindarius Thornwell type. a guy who is a very, very strong defender. Thornwell is really good on the def- on the defensive end at the wing. Um, he's strong enough to be able to defend up to the four, which I don't think Thibel is, but Thibel's obviously a lot quicker. Um, and he's probably a more advanced defender than what Thornwell was when he came into the league. Um, but that same type of kind of all defense, absolute zero on offense, um, type of role is probably what we're going to see as kind of like the baseline level for Theibel. That's what I would expect him to be next year, a guy that fits into a rotation and can play minutes because of how good he is on defense, but is going to offer you absolutely nothing on offense. And if he doesn't develop as a shooter, that's kind of where his protection is going to be, him kind of being like a ninth or tenth man that's just a really good defender for certain matchups. The median outcome for, for him... I the guy that you have to compare him to is Marcus smart at some point, because smart is the same type of kind of all world defender that doesn't make great decisions with the ball on offense, but can handle. Um, and while he doesn't shoot does bring some offensive value because of his willingness to shoot. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of like the median baseline outcome. I think that this is going to be a guy that's going to be a rotation player in the league. Um, and he's going to do so on the back of his peri- of his perimeter skill on on both ends particularly on defense um i think that he's obviously a lot more perimeter oriented defensively than smart is he's not going to be a guy that can shut down and stone a power forward in the post the way that smart can and um, and he's going to be less switchable because of that but I mean, he's going to be a guy that's going to be able to chase off screens all day, um, and you're going to be able to d- defend a majority of wings with him in that way. The ceiling is all dependent on his shooting. If he becomes that kind of 37 38% three-point shooter, then we're talking like Shane Battier, Danny Green, like the elite of the elite in terms of 3 and D guys, um, particularly because of the value that he's going to bring on the defensive end. Um I I think that if he can be a guy that can shoot off screens and can be comfortable just letting it rip six, seven times a game um, on spot-up threes, that's going to be gravy for him. It's going to take him a little bit of a while to get there, and that's kind of why... It's, he's probably on kind of the Danny Green curve where he may be even given up on by his first team because of how much of a negative he is on offense. But if he gets in a good situation with a good shooting coach, that defense is going to get him in rotation. The offense is going to be what, keeps, what makes him a valuable player for a contender. Um, so I think that that is a really, really promising ceiling outcome for him. I mean... We've talked we talk about all of all of those guys and kind of all of those roles. He's pretty clearly going to be a rotation player on a playoff team at some point, even if he is in the Thornwell camp. Um, because of his defense and his upside is being a extremely valuable player on a title team and when you throw in the offensive negatives that he has that probably means that he's going to be a cheap contract for what he is and the value that he brings to the team that he's playing on in his prime and I think that's something that matters too um so that kind of helps us transition to his fit on the calves i mean this is going to be a guy who's going to be very cheap and the calves could potentially cost control for eight years and always have a very solid perimeter defender um he may just be tony allen tony allen was a linchpin to what the grizzlies did um and I think, I think that if you can get that type of guy late in the first round, you have to pull the trigger on that. Um, he's, a, he's a wing. He'd fit on this roster no matter what the rest of the roster looks like because you never can have enough wings. Um, with the Cavs having a few guys that can be spot-up shooters, You know, if they keep Kevin Love, Chetty Osman continues to develop, and then Colin Sexton is actually able to carry over his shooting from the end of the year, that makes things even better for him. Um, I think that he's going to be a legitimate defender from the jump, um, a guy that's going to fit into a variety of different schemes defensively. Um, even though he got pigeonholed in the 2-3 zone, I think that he's going to be able to do a lot for a lot of different defensive schemes. So he's versatile regardless of who the Cavs coach is going to be. And I think that that's going to be something that's really uh, really exciting for him. Um, and, and makes him one of the more exciting prospects for the Cavs to draft in this coming class. I would love to see him in the at the 26th pick. My my kind of dream pairing for the Cavs in this class, if, if they're not picking number one, is to get Jarrett Culver and Matisse Thiebel and just really solidify your perimeter defense um, and, and kind of let Collin Sexton be the offensive creator until Culver and Thiebel get kind of up and running and get to the point where they're, they are more functional on the offensive end, I think that that's a really exciting final outcome. Um, so Thighbolt 26 would be amazing for the Cavaliers, and I hope that I've convinced you why that would be the case. So that'll wrap this up here today. Remember, you can find the podcast on Fear the Sword, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, keep an eye out for the rest of the podcast on our Fear the Sword network as well. Um, best way to support is to subscribe and leave a review, which helps more people find the podcast. You can follow me at Illegal Screens on Twitter, um, and you can... Keep up with us. We're going to be in Portsmouth next week at the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament. Um, Hopefully going to be able to record there and have a guest on um, there that's kind of in the works. Um, But regardless, we'll be talking about more fringe-type guys when we come back next week. Um, So I look forward to uh, sharing what I see at at the Portsmouth Invitational with you guys. And we'll be back again next week to break it all down.